Hello and welcome to the Crate and Crowbar, a PC gaming podcast, ostensibly. Uh, this is episode 363, and we were recording on the 24th of March 2021. Uh, we're still in the, the doom times, uh, but hopefully not for long. Uh, I'm joined today by Marsh Davis. How you doing, Marsh? Hello! Hooray! And the main news uh, this week is, Marsh, you and Jim have been up to something. Jim Rosignol, that is. We have indeed, yeah. Jim Rossignol, uh, former PC gamer writer, RPS founder, and uh, game dev miscreant responsible for Sir You're Being Hunted, amongst other things, and the signal from Tolva. Um, yeah, we've, uh, for about the last year, um, he uh, has been saving my sanity by giving me a, a, a project to get my teeth into, which is a role playing setting. Um, and we just released our first. Uh, in a series of three sort of short, condensed, single-session role-playing, pen-and-paper role-playing adventures um, that you can play in a single evening with three or four others. Uh, it's called Night of the Hogman, <laughs> and um, in it you uh, and other players must flee from a, a horde of ravening pig monsters across a cursed corner of 18th century England. And you can play as a gouty industrialist or... Uh, an unctuous parson or a slightly anachronistic Byronic poet, if you wish, amongst others. Um, and you can download it right now at teetharpg.itch.io. Um, it's pay what you want. So, I mean, it's, it's absolutely fine if you don't want to pay anything at all. Um, and we're going to release three of these one-shots, as they're called, all together, leading up to the launch of the the full role-playing setting, which is called Teeth, uh, which will probably kickstart as a fancy book with maps and other doodads. Uh, the capsule pitch for which is Jane Austen's Stalker, or, Ooh, um, that's good. <laughs> or maybe slightly more niche, uh, occult Chernobyl, uh, but in Royston Vasey in 1780, um, which may mean nothing to you. Um, another friend of ours described it as uh, Black Adam eats the Witcher, which is a which is <laughs> which is frustratingly kind of both uh, incredibly accurate and also um, crass. Uh, <laughs> but it's utterly uh, reductive. It's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's uh, it's it's a grotesque sort of horror setting with some comic uh, aspects to it, and it's. Uh, occasionally historically accurate as well and there's lots of wigs and meat pies of worrying provenance um and yeah like i said we've been working on it for about a year and it's been the thing that's kept me passingly sane during lockdown um and you can find out more about it at the itch page which was teetharpg.itch.io or you can sign up to our new newsletter uh, at teetharpg.substack.com um yeah, and if you do play it, I'd love to know how it went for you. It's our first go, so it's you know I suspect there's lots of ways for us to improve. Um, but um, even if it's not very good, I think people will agree that it's very, very silly. And honestly, <laughs> I'm perfectly happy with that. I will take that as praise. It uh, sounds good. Uh, this sounds fabulous. Uh, I think like as a one shot, if you've got like a, a few friends around, it feels like yes, it lights at least two candles. It feels like pentagrams are optional. <laughs> Unless they're drawn in tea or something, yeah. uh, is, is that the vibe? I don't, I'm just, uh, I've seen the art that you've done very much. It's awesome. Um, uh, I also, just love the word hogman <laughs> in itself, menacing but also hilarious, which is great. 
Um, yeah, so that's the news. <laughs> <laughs> Other stuff is happening, but like, frankly, like it's just too ill-formed for us to actually really comment on it properly. Yeah. Uh, so there's like you know rumors of Microsoft buying Discord and that kind of stuff, but um, I think it's better to wait for those stories to resolve before you comment on them. To be honest, I'd rather talk about video games. To be honest, um, so Marsh, what have you been playing? I've been playing Mundown. 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 That's what I thought it was. Mundown. Mundown. Yeah. Uh, which is uh, a first-person folk horror game um, set in the Swiss Alps. It was actually actually it was recommended to me by um, our pod friend and listener and writer uh, Luke Shaw, um, who goes by Dynamic Calories on our Discord. Oh yeah. Um, he's a very nice man, and uh, he uh, it was a really good pick because um, it's just this. In- incredibly idiosyncratic um vision it's the it's largely the work of of one man across six years and that that shows uh to to, to good and ill in that there is a kind of inevitable sort of lack of uh finesse in certain respects just because it's the that that's the scope of the project but it sort of makes up for that by um just being this incredibly singular vision about like a you know a folkloric tradition and a, and a place that I know really very very little about, and it has this really striking sort of incredibly consciously analog aesthetic whereby all the textures for the game, uh, which is entirely sepia, all the textures are hand drawn with this these almost kind of frantic heavy strokes uh, in with the with the soft pencil, and it was sort of. The, the effect of it just really adds to the kind of overall sense of unease about this place. I, if you can imagine a, a game texture making you feel itchy, mm. then that's sort of what it's like. So is it like, is it pixelated or lo-fi or is there any kind of like visual interference with the textures or is it simply the way they're actually drawn? They're, they're literally drawn with pen and pencil and then they're scanned Oh, I see. Um, uh, the, the the rest of the game is is three D. Uh, it's a the, the, it's quite a, a low level sort of, of geometric fidelity. Um, it's sort of it's almost like actually intentionally naive. I would say in in some of the ways that it's it's depicted in in three D. Um, it's sort of that sort of jankiness is quite a is almost an understood language in in games now because because of the kind of the eruption of the sort of Unity scene, mm. uh, but. Uh, it's it's not used in the same way here. It's sort of whereas jankiness often is like is used for like comic effect and a, a lot of other games. Here it's 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 there's a sort of like I say intentional naivety to it, which sort of makes it feel more like this sort of storybook unreality. Uh, and there's it does creepy things with the geometry, like distorting somebody's face uh, in horrific ways to sort of deliver this sort of unsettling effect. Um, it's a really, it's a really striking looking and feeling game, and you play as this this young man who returns to um, an alpine village uh, of Mundawan uh, after being uh, sent a letter, a rather cryptic letter about uh, his grandfather who was apparently burnt to death in some horrific fashion. Blimey! And um, what follows is sort of this like silent hillish, dreamlike purgatory. Uh, Inflected with the sort of the region's very specific folklore and as devilish bargains and possessed hay bales and goats and ghosts, um, and it's all intermingled with what feels like a particularly kind of Swiss 
preoccupation with invasion and uh, huh. uh, sort of like a, I, you know, I don't really know when it's set because it's 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 obviously before mobile phones, but after motor vehicles, uh, right. and it refers to uh, this war ending several decades ago. Um, and some of the intrigue relates to the grandfather's activities during this war, except I don't really know which war that would be because right, according yeah. to my inadequate education in the matter, Switzerland was famously not invaded <laughs> in World War One or II. Um, but yeah, in any case, the, the fact that it occurs in this sort of, for me at least, unplaceable period in time just sort of adds this unsettling dreamlike nature. And your character is just like weirdly unfazed by all the strange things that are that are going on he's just like cheerily patting a goat on the head and uh, uh you know having just been sort of chased by by hay bales um brought to life by demonic powers um yeah oh it's really nicely voiced as well huh. um i think i think the characters speak a language which isn't swiss it's, it's i think it's a dialect called romance or romance i don't know how you pronounce it uh, but it, the, it was completely new to my ears and it just sounds really interesting it's like the exact midpoint between german and latin and uh it's, it sounds kind of baroque and and polite and your, your character is just this very softly spoken and nice and friendly and polite chap um and because he because he speaks uh you know he with his internal voice um a lot of the time it's just this very very gentle kind of mellifluous sound you should probably crack out an asmr channel actually on youtube <laughs> um, but, oh uh, i see the hay bells and they are coming for me on fire and possessed by demons <laughs> yeah. just very gently whispering into your ear that this yeah could be horrific thing is happening <laughs> so um maybe it'd be spoilery to get into it but like uh the 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 letter from uh a, a distant relative who you don't know is both like a gothic conceit, but also like a Lovecraftian conceit. Like it's the oldest, it's a very old idea. Mm. Uh, and it, it's often an excuse to put you into a situation that draws you to, into a different mystery entirely. I wonder like, what's it like when you actually get into the town? Do you have a direction? Is there some sort of sense of what's going on? Well, it, uh, n n no, <laughs> it's hard to say, really. I mean, it, it takes a, wh a while for you to unpick what's going on. Clearly, things are very, very weird. Like it gets, uh, it gets surreal and um, uh, strange right off the bat. You start having visions and space warps around you, and other okay. other things happen. Um, so it's it's quite disorienting. It's it's not. I would say it's not particularly good at directing you in terms of the sort of mechanical aspects of the game. There's a, like it's it's a. Uh, I mean, it's it's a sort of first person puzzle slash walking simulator in the vein of like uh, a lot of these sort of horror games and mm. the 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 aspects of it which I I think are quite rough and ready. Uh, the puzzling fetch quest stuff feels both. A little kind of shallow and facile, but also unnecessarily obscure. <laughs> um, oh, all of the worst things. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, I, I say this now because I, I want to stress that that stuff is almost completely mitigated, I think, by the atmosphere and, and the, 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 the uniqueness of, of the setting. Right. Um, but it is one of these games where I think if you get stuck, you should 
absolutely cheat immediately and look up what you're meant to do next there's just there's i've been stuck a few times and there's uh there was no value in me being confused because it was mm. being confused by the budget ceiling for qa uh right like at one so at one point um my only explicitly stated objective was to go to a certain place and yet if i tried to go there my character would stop and say i'll go there later um so uh, I didn't know what to do. And what it, it turned out, what I had to do was feed a severed goat head some water and then have a conversation <laughs> with it. So I think that's not really an interaction that it's fair to expect players to intuit. <laughs> uh, one of the, this also like, this speaks to a lot of sort of adventure gaming, uh, adventure game friction, where the character that is supposed to be your avatar can actively rebel against you. <laughs> can actually just say, no, I'm not going to do that. And yeah. <laughs> that that's like, but the, it's the equivalent of like if in a sort of semi-open world game, uh, the invisible wall that you get to, where they've just not designed the game past that point. So mm. um, in um, Flight Sims, for example, the game will literally just forcibly turn your plane around and fly you back into the playable zone. Um, but even more awkwardly, like in a third-person, first-person open-world mm. game, you'll just like literally have to sort of bounce against the an invisible wall that makes no sense at all until you turn back and sort of accept that um, it's all a farce. And it, but the, the equivalent in adventure games is literally your own character saying no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is so, <laughs> is so obnoxious <laughs> uh, well, these days. I, I, I suspect it's there um, as, uh, I think that probably got in, I mean, I have no idea really, but I mean, it's one of those things that feels like it was probably introduced um, to stop players walking off into the open world and uh, not being able to do what they want to do because they've just gone many miles in the wrong direction. Mm. So I, I suspect they put that there as a sort of way of funneling players back to, to the the immediate task. But, you know, it just um, it hasn't necessarily had the uh, amount of QA required to, m- to make, make its it objectives sense. really make sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So, and there's hmm. there's other things that are shonky about it. Like there's the stealth combat in the game, and there probably really shouldn't be. <laughs> like oh, uh, the best combat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All, all you count have various different kinds of um, enemies, and nearly all attack you in ways which blind and slow you, Fun. Uh, which just makes you more and more vulnerable to their attacks. Yeah. And it's just a really tedious way to die. And the game just doesn't have the fine fluid sense of embodiment that might make it a you know a good combat game or make mm. the combat cam- encounters feel negotiable they just they just always feel cumbersome and unwelcome um and it, i was talking about this i was wondering would the game be better if they were just gone because it would make the game a lot less scary there would be a very reduced sense of threat but uh i think i think i would just turn off the enemies actually yeah uh, <laughs> i think i would uh, basically yeah i think i would too Based on what you said, like <laughs> blind, uh, blinding, slow, um, and also just like a lack of uh, kind of tactile feeling of movement or responsiveness from the character is a, it, it's all the worst things I can imagine from a combat system, especially like a, a sort of stealth system. If you're trying to sneak around things that can blind and slow you, that sounds horrible. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it is. It's. I find it very stressful, but mostly because um, I was stressed out by the the, the feeling of inconvenience uh, of encountering these enemies, rather than the, right. their actual kind of in fiction threat. Um, but 
you know, I, I mean, like I say, like all, all of that, all of these these problems feel like a, a lesser part of what it accomplishes, um, which is just this sort of scintillatingly unusual aesthetic vision. Like the sound design is really good as well. Huh. Um, this is, I think, uh, this is part of the project. So, like I said, it was mostly the work of a single developer across a long, long time. But he um, he was able to bring in some uh, sound designers uh, to help with the the, the well, the sound design, unsurprisingly, and they've they've captured they, they you know they went up into the Alps and captured lots of different kinds of wind, um, you know, creaking wood oh, and cool. crunching snow and stuff, um, and just it's it sounds fantastic at all times, and it does this this thing I really like where if you look at a painting or a photo in the game, the camera just begins to slowly pan in on it, mm. and the, it's you start to begin be able to hear sound from within the reality of the picture. Uh, and it's really, it's really evocative. You know, you're just looking at a, a picture of a church, and suddenly you can hear the kind of the sound of Gong. bells ringing, or you know, a bridge being constructed, and you start hearing the sound of you know men calling to each other and uh, and hammers clocking against wood. And it's kind of a feature I wish images had in real life. I think uh, uh, we should uh, introduce this sort of soundscape to the Quaint Crowbar podcast. Have a <laughs> faintly, uh, you know, deep voices singing hymns at half speed. <laughs> <laughs> just underneath this, these descriptions, just to give that you know a bit of ambiance. That sounds great, though. It reminds me of um. So I was talking about um Siberia on the podcast like about a month ago. Oh yeah, and it's a, everything you said reminds me of that, where the actual kind of the functional bits of moving around and solving the puzzles is just like total work a day, really tedious, and we didn't have to do any of it. But the actual overall idea and the sense of the story there, um, and the sense of atmosphere. Um, made it all worthwhile so yeah it's, that's pretty cool that yeah. is that, you've made me want to play it it's it's worth having a look at i mean i i think even if you don't stick with it all the way through or you get frustrated and give up I, there, there's just something i mean the, the charming central character is nice and it's a nicely wrought fable at its center but mm. like just the fact that it evokes uh, uh, a culture that isn't well exposed by the typical western horror milieu <laughs> Um, I think that's just really interesting. It's something to you know just to to experience. Yeah, now, I hope it's I hope it's not a um, a one off for the developer because um, uh, he, he sort of came to this project s- sort of semi accidentally. It was originally going to be um, uh, a comic, I think, and it, it sort of just huh. segued into a game. Uh, but I hope now that they're in the <laughs> in the field of games that they don't um, uh, they don't leave it again. I want to see what else they do next. That sounds really fun. By fun, yeah. I mean obviously like just. Deeply unsettling, perhaps, in a sort of slow yeah. burn way. <laughs> yeah. Which is my favourite type of horror, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. I I'm not not big on jump scare horror. Um, I mm. think it's it's cheap. Uh, it's very effective on me, but it doesn't interest me. Um, but this uh, this this is good. It's just uh, yeah, sinister, sinister stuff. Ah, oh, sinister's good. I like that. That sounds great. Good goats. What have you been playing, Tom? Uh, I've been playing um, probably like the opposite end of the color wheel from <laughs> from that i've been playing a doom eternal oh yeah yeah that uh, is literally the opposite <laughs> yeah, like, um which again is like on, on its face it's supposed to be a sort of hellish horror thing but it's not at all it's a total power trip the whole thing is an incredible power trip where you're incredibly fast incredibly mobile um you, you're constantly giving guns and upgrades uh, it's first person shooter i should mention um and it's the sequel to the 2016, I think, Doom. Um, 
but I much prefer Eternal because it's just goes so much further with its setting uh where so originally in the the doom remake you go to mars and everything's just kind of orange uh and if you see a green light that's where you need to go uh in this like the second level of the game is you're fighting in the ruins of earth after a demonic invasion from hell and there are huge mechs that humans have built uh fighting giant demons that are stories tall um, and they are frozen mid-combat because everything has been kind of cratered. Uh, but as you as Doom guy, just a, a bloke with, you know, nice muscles and uh, a, a super shotgun, uh, invades the whole area, finds a power uh, crate or whatever the fuck, a battery, inserts the battery into the arm of one of these mechs and it punches a hole through a giant demon's heart, and then that's your entrance into the next level, which is set inside <laughs> the giant demon. <laughs> and it's so good. It's so, so good. I love it. Uh, it it's, um, I've got a stupid watch that measures my heart rate, and uh, I've been uh, like checking it. I've been using it to sort of check what games do to my heart rate. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just because, I mean often it's, it's, so, it's such an unconscious thing like you don't realize when you're in a state of heightened awareness if you're really into a game like if you, uh, i find if you're suddenly like in the zone or you're really into the world and actually like concentrating really hard on trying to click on things heads um you don't necessarily know what's going on with your like your body <laughs> um and i found that uh an interesting thing with doom eternal is if i play it with a podcast on it's mediocre if I play it with the headphones on and the full soundtrack going, it is like turbo excitement. Oh wow! Right, <laughs> and it's a it's a this is a great sign of just immense sound design in terms of like when you pick stuff up, it's got very old fashioned. Uh, when you pick up shield pieces, it's got very very old fashioned, quite lo fi sounds that go ching 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 as you run over them, um, which and. When you sort of like reload a gun, it goes kachink. When your kind of dash move reloads, it goes bloop. And so you have all this really, really artificial noises layered over a very sophisticated um, soundscape, which is made up of heavy metal music, <laughs> sometimes dubstep, but also this endless screaming of monsters that are coming at you <laughs> uh, <laughs> and i think it's it's a, it's a magnificent achievement and the fact that um the, the movement in this game is so responsive uh, it reminds me of Titanfall 2 but i actually like actually prefer doom eternal's movement because it's so decisive like if uh your dash move is just like almost instantaneous the responsiveness is incredible um and there are actually like sort of jumping puzzles that require you to shoot uh stuff while you're jumping through uh the puzzle and normally that would be the most irritating thing in the world but because all the, all the jumps are just so measured and all the levels of even though they look incredible and there's incredible sort of heavy metal album cover uh look and feel to them actually like the visual language of what is reachable what you can swing on what you can land on and very generous, like mantling. Uh, so if you're close enough to a platform, uh, Doom guy, your guy will just like clamber up onto it. It's like, oh yeah, we see, we saw what you were going for there. You're close enough. We'll just give you the win. Um, 
and it's just yeah it's just brilliant design it's just brilliant movement design brilliant sound design um and that put my heart rate up 20 uh as opposed to <laughs> when i wasn't when i was playing it like without uh, like the sound it, i'd be a, a solid like kind of uh i'm not very fit at the moment so i'm just at, like 95 beats uh per minute solid uncaring <laughs> listening <laughs> to the, this american life or some shit and uh you know learning about you know uh important gun safety law you know <laughs> issues in the us as i was blasting demons um and i've actually uh cause I've, I've, play, I've spent so much time playing games on the second screen um or, or playing a game on the first screen with like a program on the second screen or yeah. or like a, a podcast in my headphones um but so it's great to find a game that actually rewards you for fully investing and concentrating on it and it deserves that concentration because it makes the game so much better. And also, if you don't concentrate on it, you're going to die. Like it's, it's like so so fast and so it requires so mm. much from you uh, in terms of response. Uh, I can't imagine not playing it with a mouse and keyboard. It's glorious on a mouse and keyboard. Like, and I, I'm not like a advocate for mouse and keyboard over controllers. I, I I love controllers. I use them all the time for like that. But it's like Dead May Cry Five controller every day. Um, but this demands mouse and keyboard. I think like you're I think you're getting a second um a secondary experience if you don't have a nice mouse and a nice keyboard for this. Right. And because uh, you, you need to be constantly um jinking and turning, right? Yeah, and also so suddenly turning like one eighty. Like literally just you need to know you need to be able to flick the mouse to go one eighty. And some of the jumping require uh, puzzles require this. But also, if you hear a kind of a caco demon gurgling behind you, you have to be able to spin 180, fire a grenade into its gob, and then, you know, uh, when it swallows it and starts flashing, you press E, and you zoom in and rip its eye out and then get health. <laughs> uh, but all of that requires, like, that a little bit of mouse dexterity. But it's also forgiving enough, like... Uh, so, again, when an enemy flashes, which is uh, when an enemy starts flashing, you... you get like an execution kill from them and that generates health and other things if you set them on fire first with your flamethrower you also get shields so that's cool um so you're sort of like juggling all of these kind of uh, resource concerns but as you're doing incredible acrobatics the game makes you feel good at games <laughs> i think like my favorite action games do this get devil may cry does this as well uh games the way like I'm not like an amazing Twitch cheater. I'm not even a very good one. But going through this campaign so far, it's made me feel like a king. <laughs> it's brilliant. Uh, it's just a, such an amazing power trip. Um, and yeah, it's just like, I, I don't even listen to heavy metal that much. Um, I don't listen to that much dub, dubstep, but in this context, it's absolutely perfectly matched to the to, to the, the games, the levels. It's really nicely paced. There are little bits where there are sort of puzzles the little bits where there's even bloody law. <laughs> uh, there's loads of law. There's a whole like kind of you know Mass Effect style codex full of uh, you know details of the Nephilim, which I've uh-huh. not touched at all, <laughs> <laughs> and and never will. But it's there if you want it, I guess. Uh, but no, it's been an absolute joy playing this. Like it's, it's it's sort of woken me up to games in a way because I've been playing games so placidly in lockdown for about six months. Uh, in terms of like you know uh, turn-based JRPGs stuff that doesn't really require my full attention, so to actually have a game that demands that and rewards it so well has been has been wonderful. 
Love That's it. really interesting. I mean, because I, I, I played a bit of, um, uh, what's it called? <laughs> Doom. It's uh, the first one. Eternal. Eternal. No, Doom Eternal. I oh, yeah. Okay. Doom Eternal. Yeah. Um, and I, I thought, actually, I came away from it thinking that this is probably a kind of game that you could sort of um, get into a zen sort of space playing. Because a lot of the mm. encounters are, you're sort of locked in a, in a in a space and you just have to sort of find... Uh, a repeatable loop around that space where you sort of uh, murder everything within it that spawns um, for a period of time. And I I felt like that was sort of like a a, a parkour challenge that you could interpret without accessing the full (laughs) requirements of your brain. Like it, it, you could swim around this space like a shark, always moving click forward. On heads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but but I think I think at the point where I. Uh, I stopped playing it. Maybe I stopped playing it because it started to demand more. Of me. <laughs> uh, so does does it sort of reach a level of complexity where you really actually need to be alert and thinking? Yes, definitely, um, and that's entirely down to the armory for one part, and also uh, even more importantly, actually, the way that you gain resources um, by using your armory. So you've got a chainsaw, and you, if you chainsaw a guy, uh, you'll get ammo. Uh, if you get a guy down to a loan of health that starts to flash and that gets you health if you set them on fire and then kill them that gives you shields um and you're constantly juggling all of those resources as you're flying around and as you're fighting um and then also add on to the fact that uh enemies demand specific weapons uh so for example there are the goons that show up with um energy shields and you've got an energy blaster a plasma blaster mm. and so then you need to switch to the plasma blaster and if you overload that shield it explodes and it kills everything around that enemy uh, and so you're having to like after a certain you know, a, a, a certain portion through the game probably about you know 20 percent through the game you're having to use your armory effectively in order to clear these rooms otherwise you're gonna you're just gonna get ruined um and so, like the Kakademon example is is one thing. Like, uh, you've got like on left control, you've got a grenade that recharges every minute, but you've got a shotgun, and one of the mods for the shotgun, you can upgrade all the weapons in different ways as well uh, to improve their effectiveness against different enemies. Uh, but the normal shotgun has a grenade launcher as well, sort of built into it. Hold right click, tap left click, throw a grenade. And when the Cacodemon opens its giant mouth to do a devastating bite that will probably kill you, um, you shunt a grenade into its gob, and that's how you defeat that enemy. And um, what ends up happening, like, after a few hours of the game, it will throw so many different types of enemy at you at the same time that you're managing the battlefield, you're managing your resources in terms of ammo, health, shields, um, and... Yeah, it demands nothing but full attention. I don't, I don't like at that point. It could never be a second screen game for me. Like it's right, it's it, and it's amazing. <laughs> I, I think it's brilliant. Like um, as an interpretation of the Doom fantasy, uh, that actually kind of brings it into modern shooters, and also it's it's a rare example example like Titanfall uh, of a first person shooter that really uh, a modern first person shooter that really loves giving you mobility speed um as a character uh which used to be the fake you know used to be that with like unreal quake quake 2 you know the, the quake games you get jump pads in doom eternal 
uh, you get double jump and dash, mid-air dashes and that kind of stuff. You're really, really fast all the time. Um, and I feel like that's the thing that sort of uh, the militaristic first-person shooter bias that Call of Duty has introduced mm. uh, has sort of denied us that sense of pace, like Tribes as well is another great example of like skiing, oh, yeah. right? And all of, all of the joy of just not having to adhere to actual rules of gravity in video games. Like, why should we? Why not have double jumps and dashes <laughs> and fly all over the arena, like sh- shooting demons in the head? Um, so I, I find it to be quite, quite it's just, it's weird to say it's refreshing when it's such a throwback, <laughs> but it is. Do you think it is a throwback, though? I, I, it feels like something uh, completely new. Like, uh, people have said that it's more of a more true to the original Doom than Doom Three, for example. But uh, I don't, I don't know that it is. Like the, the incredible kind of arcadey feel to it uh, doesn't seem like something which is is a callback, but something completely fresh. I've, it feels fresh to me, but I think like. I didn't experience Doom like when it was actually in its contemporary state. Uh, I've I've gone back to it. I'd still love Doom Two and stuff, um, but you you can never claim that it has the kind of um, finesse of movement and the flair, uh, mm. the move uh, of momentum and the sense that your character is flying around the environment and that you're amazing. Like uh, it's still a great game, but it, I think I feel like the new Dooms do build on that and there are different actually i think they they should be extremely highly rated i'm really looking forward to getting into the dlc as well once i've actually beaten the campaign um so i've seen folks on twitter like saying that it's like super super intense and that's exactly what i want from this game uh i want to have to spend you know put my entire brain onto the screen (laughs) and kill so many hundreds of demons, <laughs> ideally in the most heavy metal kind of album cover environments possible. <laughs> it's been yeah, it's been really nice. I've really enjoyed it. Just talking about it makes me want to play it. <laughs> I should go back to it and push through my my initial lazy resentment of it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Because I, I think I think at the point where it started asking me to really manage a large number of different resources. And mm. deal with specialized enemies. I was just like, ah, uh. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, I felt myself um, adopting almost like, like unconsciously adopting a, just an incredibly cruel sort of, uh, you know, cost benefit analysis thing when I'm uh, falling down onto a battlefield where there's loads of enemies, and um, I sort of like have a little glance, bottom right, bottom left, see where my arm is at, where my health's at where my ammo's at and then i'm just like okay well a bit short on ammo press c to chainsaw and then you get this incredibly gory thing of like just literally carving a thing into five pieces and then loads and loads of ammo just flies out of it i was like okay well i've um i've acquired that resource <laughs> now, now on to the next recourse like resource acquisition uh, task which is um oh i think i need a bit of health actually so yeah i'll sort of shoot this man in the legs uh, just until he starts flashing on the verge of death, and then I'll charge in and press E, and they <laughs> chop his head off um, and get health. Yeah, so you, <laughs> it, it, it makes you into a monster, which is great. Uh, it should. Um, and I, yeah, it's, it's so, like, I feel like we're bouncing from, from one 
corner of the color wheel to the other. And I'm going to bounce the other way this time and introduce Hunt Showdown <laughs> as a topic. Oh, yeah. Just like the absolute turbo opposite of a shooter uh, that I've been trying to sort of like ten like tentatively learn through tutorials and through like just little just kind of like inv- just go to the odd pub game and then get out again. Um, and Marsh, you, you've got loads of experience playing this, so uh, and it, a new update's been released released for it. It's still alive and well, and I really want to get good at it. But yeah, G- give me your give me your advice. <laughs> I'm not the person to advise you. You see, what what I've learned is that my my abilities uh, have uh, really everything have completely atrophied. Um, oh no! <laughs> but I think that's the reason that I can still play Hunt is that there is there is a strategic space in which um, even um, an aging uh, loser like myself can survive, um, despite having incredibly incredibly poor reaction times so i don't know that i don't know that the way that i play it is the way that a normal human being should play it if you know what i mean because i i am uh compensating for my for my weaknesses in a big way does anyone go to hunt uh as a kind of like call of duty twitch shooter though like that just gives you your position away like I, let's just sort of give an overview of it like you're um either solo or in a team of up to three i believe um, and you're in a map that's shared by a few of the teams, uh, also playing co-op, and you're hunting NPC monsters. And in order to do so, you have to find clues and uh, eventually find the actual boss monster in the center. Once you've actually killed the boss monster, you get their treasure, and then you have to extract as fast as possible by going to one of the extraction points on the edge of the map while you're being fiercely hunted by anyone else who's still alive on the map. Uh, that's about right, isn't it? Yeah, that, that's, that's it in a nutshell. Yeah, there's lots of uh, aspects of the game which aren't known to you as a player. Like, you don't know mm. where the bosses are. You don't know where other players are spawned. Um, and a, a lot of the game is about sort of unpicking um, the the mystery of what's happening on the map through through telltale signs and sounds, mm. hearing distant gunshots and then working out, ah, so there's a team up there. They're probably on their first clue, which means they only know that so much of this map is is still available right, as, right, right. as a kind of location of the boss monster. Um, that's that's the stuff I really enjoy. The kind of the this the sleuthing stuff of it, and the and the way that the um, the pace of the game of just abruptly changes from being this sort of exploratory. Uh, tense thing where you're hoping not to encounter other people to being a siege to being mm. uh, you know a, a sudden flight out of the map being chased by everybody else that's what's cool about it yeah um, so um yeah for folks who haven't played it like when you actually if you find the boss monster and they can be pretty hideous those things uh, a new one has just been introduced and the, uh, once you actually like if you manage to take it down you have to sort of sit on its corpse for a few minutes while every single other human player in the world <laughs> can press a button to see exactly where you are. So that's the sort of siege moment, isn't it? Like that. Yeah. It, and um, yeah, I'm, <laughs> that's really horrifying. I love, uh, I love like rushing in and trying to kill them, but yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, it's, it's really interesting watching really um, skillful players uh, have, uh, have a shot of this. There's a guy, um, called Lucan, who I really, uh, really enjoy watching his videos. I don't mm. really watch a lot of gaming videos, but I do like Lucan's. He's an incredibly kind of softly uh, spoken Liverpudlian guy. Never, ever seems to get angry <laughs> in the way that I do <laughs> with Hunt all the time. Um, but what's remarkable about him, he obviously has 
very good Twitch skills, uh, for one thing. But above and beyond that, he's incredibly good at anticipating where people will be and where they'll move through a space. Mm. Like, I, I think... Hunt's interesting. I mean, I, I guess we do this with all sh- all shooters, but you know, when you when you're playing a shooter, you're sort of also running a sort of simulation in your brain about uh, which is intended to predict where other players will go and what they'll do. Yeah. Um. And it turns out mine's not very accurate, and his is extraordinarily accurate. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because he'll he'll get shot from somewhere, run off into a bush, he'll. And then he'll just look in this direction. You'd be like, why the fuck are you looking down there? There's mm. nothing, that wasn't where you were shot from. And he knows somehow that from the position he was shot from, the most sensible way to be flanked would be around here. And you know, instantaneously, somebody's head pops around a, the corner of a shed and he, he blows Scratch it off. It. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of uncanny. That's, but that, like yeah. I say, I mean, that's not the way uh, I play because I can't. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I tend to play a lot more cautiously um, and uh, tr- try and uh, ambush people, ideally in, in the open. I don't like getting cornered and I don't like, I don't really like being the one under siege. Um, so I, I, I tend to try and fight mid, mid-range where with with a weapon that is is reasonably fast firing, so I can just out, hopefully outpace the, the 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 shooting of my enemy and uh, put them down in a in a hail of semi accurate fire. <laughs> <laughs> That's all it takes. Um, so, do you find that the bo- so in my experience so far, the bosses have spawned inside buildings? Yeah, uh, with um, it seems carefully designed, and like they're designed as almost like a multiplayer level. Uh, uh, in the middle of the map like is, is that what it's always like or can they spawn out in the open can they spawn like in the water or something like i mean it was like so that. actually that, that was a design decision they made was to restrict the places that they could spawn they did originally think they might have monsters that, that like a boss monster that roams the entire level but yeah. um they i think they tried it and they they found that it didn't work that it maybe opened up too many um variables or it, it opened things up to exploits by by players right. um so um, all the all the bosses currently spawn inside buildings. It was m- mooted. I think there was like a piece of concept art for a for a big albino crocodile at some point, uh, which doesn't exist in the game currently. But mm. um, if it did, presumably it would spawn in the water. But I think that would. Um, I think I think because each of the each of the sort of compounds, like these sort of f- f- semi fortified building areas where the bosses can spawn, um, I think because they have to be boss agnostic. Uh, to some extent, you wouldn't have you wouldn't be able to have. Oh, it's an aquatic monster, but you know he he needs to be able to fight in a. Oh, he's on a, he's on the know. second floor of this warehouse. <laughs> yes, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, um, that makes complete sense. I, I, yeah, I was thinking particularly about um, the spider, which is an incredible piece of animation. Like, oh yeah, oh, it creeps me the hell out. Like, it's, uh, but it ha- like you have to. I, I'd love to quiz the designers on this but presumably they must have to know the exact geometry of what the thing is going to have to move around in order to actually have it move in so convincingly and uh so quickly i don't know like uh yeah it's uh, got to have been a, a terrible qa task for them because this thing can scuttle over walls and through uh through tiny gaps and over the ceilings um so there's no real i mean yeah that's that uh that vastly increases the the amount of kind of navigable space that it ha- it can right. occupy yeah um thing that must be horrendous there were there have been quite a lot of bugs where it's uh it's got stuck somewhere or you know uh 
some many patches ago it, it could get killed and then it would it would just die in some inaccessible place now when you mm. kill it 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 sort of scuttles half alive to a convenient point right. and so- then then carks it um, which is useful. <laughs> I mean, yeah, to, or to flip upside down and do the horrible thing that spiders do. <laughs> oh, yeah, God. Oh, oh, my skin's crawling just thinking about it. It's, it. That's a great boss monster. Also, I love that um, that solution to that problem. It's like, no, I'm, I'm fine with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Solves the problem for everyone. Keeps the keeps the match moving. Um, yeah. So I, I fought that one. I fought the, um, the flame dude. Uh, oh yeah, the pig man. Yes, yeah, uh, the butcher be as well. A, the butcher. That's right. Yes, uh, very large man with uh, no head, but a uh, decapitated pig stapled to his body. Yes, um, I tried shooting that as his weak point, and it turns out it kind of wasn't. <laughs> so I ran away. <laughs> I don't think he has a weak point, but it do, it can fall off, um, <laughs> and then um, then it continues to scream. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> This is from this is from Crytek, and uh, it's the best thing they've ever made. Oh I, yeah, I, easily. Um, obviously, they made Crisis, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But this is like it's a genuinely innovative multiplayer game, and I think like uh, I've not played anything quite like it. No, I keep on meaning to play Tarkov, uh, which I think mm. is pretty uh, pretty comparable. But Tarkov just has. Uh, this much more kind of um, intense fascination with minutiae when it comes to like loadouts and guns and gear and um, that kind of stuff kind of puts me off. Uh, right. I, I'm just not really interested in in changing out different kinds of barrels for guns. And unfortunately, Hunter sort of slightly kind of flirted in that direction mm. um, recently with a recent patch where it's um, it's introduced different kinds of ammo types. Um, which each have their different kind of effects, like poison ammo and uh, uh, full metal jackets and things, and they all mm. they they kind of massage the 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 the, the speed of the bullets and the <laughs> uh, the amount of damage that they do, and obviously they can have then secondary effects as well. And all of that stuff just sort of it feels a bit too kind of fiddly. Um, I don't like spending a lot of time in menus generally yeah. um this just adds the amount of time and it also uh creates that snowball effect where it it's uh it benefits players who uh who are doing really well in the meta and it benefits um, by virtue of that it benefits better players um hmm. and you don't really want to do that i think i think you want to try, try and level the playing field between uh the really good players and the um scrubs like me not simply uh, out of some act of generosity towards <laughs> fools, <laughs> but because there's not a sufficient uh, player population for matchmaking to keep people within their own skill brackets. Yes. And yeah. so what will happen is that, you know, people like me will be put up against dead-eyed killers and uh, they'll, you know, they'll quit the game eventually because it'll just be a a terrible grinding down to nothing Mm. um, over and over again, Um, (laughs) which does periodically happen. Uh, uh, I'm not quite sure what goes on with the matchmaking in Hunt. It's been through different phases where the games felt quite different because the the matchmaking is obviously uh, used different statistics in order to put people together. Right now, um, it seems like uh, I, I... Every time I die, I die to somebody with a 2.5 KD ratio. And like, I shouldn't be playing people with a 2.5 KD ratio. 
I should be playing people with a, you know, around one <laughs> KD ratio. Um, but uh, it, it, the game doesn't just doesn't seem capable of, uh, or doesn't have a, a large enough audience. Maybe that the that that kind of the population at my skill level is sufficient to fill a map. Um, I think that this is an interesting quandary actually, because like first of all, the fantasy of it is is a survivalist horror fantasy where guns feel like they should be lethal, like one shot to the head. In mm. any circumstance, no matter what, you know, you're, whether you have poison equipped or electric equipped or whatever the fuck, like, that should work on a human. Yeah. And uh, maybe you could take boss monsters down a bit faster with the right thing, but when it comes to the PvP aspect of it, that should, it should, it feels like it should be quite pure. Um, and it sounds like maybe it's moving away from that a little bit. Um, yeah, that's... <laughs> The question is such an interesting hybrid PvP PvE thing that maybe like no one like they've got nothing no template to base it on. They're sort of like trying to create long longevity by copying mm. other systems. Maybe I don't know. I'm, I'm completely guessing. Just look just based on what you've said. Uh, yeah, you, it's, you it's actually really know the game to... better than me. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I think it's very difficult to interpret what's what's happening at the studio um, because, for, especially since for a long time, like this last uh, year and a half, has been marked in the development of this game by making it actually more of a level playing field by making um, like good weapons cheaper and cheap weapons better, hmm. um, and. That's done a lot to address the kinds of frustrations that you'd get where good players would just be able to afford, uh, you know, a, a weapon which was particularly fast firing and incredibly powerful. Um, hmm. Now it seems like this is this is the first change which has sort of um, retarded that that movement towards uh, a level playing field. I, I still it's still yet to play out. I don't know how significant that those ammo types will be in the long term. But it's sort of, it's sort of already noticeable from a, like a fussiness aspect rather than right. just in the game. Um, and there is there is something like like you say, the, the I prefer the combat to be digital. Um, you can once you're downed, you can be revived by surviving teammates, mm. um, and that that is sort of like a concession to non digital combat that I will accept. I don't actually like playing with. Uh, a team of three. I prefer a team of two because that does make those encounters more digital again. Like it's much easier to wipe a team of two than it is a team of three because yeah. there's always somebody who can revive one of the other people while your attention is divided, and uh, that that can kind of uh, becomes just just frustrating. It just elongates the length of time for any one engagement in, a, in an artificial way. It can just so, sort of sop up your time on the on the in, in the map when you kind of want to be done with one thing and then move on to a next. You don't really want to be in endless wars of attrition because that's that's yeah. You know, I mean, attrition does that sound fun? Um, Everyone loves that. <laughs> and I that's sort of my beef with the custom ammo too is that it's this this sort of just un unnecessary extra uh, element to combat which will just make things fussier um actually maybe that's not right maybe that's not right at all <laughs> maybe actually i think my problem with it is that 
all these all these extra uh, effects that you can apply to your ammunition and then to your enemy are things that you can already cause your enemy to suffer. Um, so, I mean, you, you have Molotov cocktails. If you want to set an enemy on fire, you don't need to have, uh, you know, the, the particular kind of ammo type which does that, the incendiary ammo. You could just throw a Molotov cocktail or you could throw... Um, a concertina bomb which fills a space full of barbed wire and causes people to bleed so they need to heal themselves or you can throw uh, like a hive bomb which causes people to be chased by bees and poisoned Um, but the difference there is that all of those actions require some risk on the part of the aggressor like in order to throw a Molotov cocktail at somebody, you need to be within range, you need to get your Molotov out, obviously, so you can't be shooting at that time, Um, and then you need to wind your arm back and then lob it, and during that period, you're exposed, and that creates like an interesting risk-reward, and... I feel like the custom ammo, though, the the only risk you're taking is in the menu of the game before the game even loads. And if you're a uh, you know a player who's doing really well and's got loads of in-game bucks, then it's no risk at all. It's just not very interesting. I I don't know who it's for, but I mean I guess there must be people at the studio or, or among the players who are champing at the bit for this sort of added level of unnecessary complexity. Uh, I don't I don't really understand it myself. Maybe it has like aspirations to be like a, a living game like Destiny or something like that, and maybe it feels like it needs to have, um, you know, excess systems on top of the combat to actually sort of encourage players to keep on grinding for that. It's a bit for me that, like, based on the little I've played, is it's totally antithetical to the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, remains to be seen. It does remain to be seen. It's a new change, so maybe they'll roll it back, or maybe they won't. I don't know. Um, but yes, the the new boss will be interesting. Um, it's some sort of crow thing. It hasn't Ooh. been unlocked yet. It's Technically, the patch has dropped, but players have to, as a community, earn a n- certain number of points during a sort of like a... Oh, I hate that shit. Uh, yeah, but it's it's just a sort of an, an event to introduce, get people playing to introduce them it's to the engagement. boss. It's engagement. Exercise, yeah, yeah, but whatever. yeah, I'm not 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 really interested. Just wake me up when the boss is here. <laughs> exactly, yeah, quite right. <laughs> but um, but yeah, at least there's a new boss coming, and yeah, yeah, and there's a new map coming later in the year as well. Oh, which cool, is exciting. And I think uh, that this... that's the sort of thing that I think uh, for this sort of game, that's what actually renews it. Is is the idea of uh, like a, a whole new map, a whole new kind of uh, oh yeah environment, and you uh, like. I don't think you need the sort of layered uh, elemental ammo types when you can just put a new map out. But obviously, that's the hardest thing to do because you've got to bounce <laughs> yeah. it around the five or six bosses you've already created and where they can or can't spawn, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so and those maps yeah. are, are just so incredibly finely tuned as well. Like, yeah, they're beautiful. Yeah. Oh, well, it's, it's aesthetic, but it's also they're incredibly well considered for... For the for the kinds of action that occur, you you notice as you play it that um, convenient sight lines that you want uh, are rendered hmm. useless to you by a, a, a well placed tree stump, <laughs> yeah. and and like this happens all the time. A level designer was here. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Great game. Yeah. I, I can't wait to get deeper into it. I'm gonna get oh, better at yeah. it. I want to play it with you. I want to play it with you really badly. You've got to, you've got to teach me, Marsh. You've got to teach me how to, how to not get immediately fucked up by the crows. 
<laughs> the oh, crows. That, that, yeah. <laughs> Have you been playing anything else? Uh, I saw. I saw that you had been playing a little bit of Mortal Kombat 11. I have actually. Yeah, I've got my um, I've got my fight stick, and what I've learned about fight sticks and uh, beat 'em ups is that uh, the fight stick makes me much much worse at the game. Oh, really? But also makes me like I actually have much much more fun. Uh, from the simple act of just like throwing the stick around and slapping buttons like a what, seal. What, how, what? By what means do you think it makes you worse at it? Well, uh, I think. Because I'm so used to executing special moves with like micro thumb movements on a gamepad, oh. so um, the hardest one to do in my experience is like uh, toward down, down toward, which is uh, anyone who want, who's ever tried to you know uh, control Ryu and do the kind of massive spinning uppercut thing. Um, we'll we'll know that very well, and theoretically with a stick, and I've is, I've got a good stick. It's a really good it's a really good um, fight stick system, um, but even then I just sort of like just flap it around like an idiot, and <laughs> <laughs> then I slap the button, and then my guy does like a weak punch that is easily blocked, and they get countered by a combo and then die, uh, and that happens often even in like single player, um, but as the kind of that's something really fun about it. Like it's just fun, like in a really childish way, to have a joystick and giant buttons that you <laughs> that you slap <laughs> open hand like an idiot. Uh, and yeah, so yeah, I've been uh, enjoying that in Mortal Kombat Eleven. And Mortal Kombat, like Mortal Kombat Eleven is, um, I don't know, who makes it the, the same people who uh, do the Injustice games, hmm. um, which are also very good, and they're very very similar systems actually. Uh, but they're extremely well produced. Well produced. They they look beautiful. They're probably they're the best looking fighting games in terms of like three D graphics or and you know uh, if you care about stuff like you know special lighting and special kind of like anti aliasing and stuff. Um, and they look great. Uh, I would always pick Guilty Gear or Arc uh, any Arc Systems Works game over them. I think. Oh really? Yeah, I would. Uh, Hmm. Uh, yeah, sorry. Uh, just sort of like popped up in my head and disagreed with me <laughs> really hard. Uh, so I th- okay. So if you're completely new to fighting games, uh, I would go for a Mortal Kombat, and because because uh, they're fully voiced, fully kind of mo-capped, beautifully produced uh, cutscenes in the single-player campaigns, and they also have very very good. Uh, tutorials uh, and the, the combat system as far as I can tell is extremely good um, but once you've gone past that once you've maybe like played a few of those move on to an Arc Systems game go on to Drag Ball Z see, what that, see how that treats you uh, go on to Blast Blue the, 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 the one word that Marsh hates the most <laughs> um, uh, go on to Guilty Gear and like there's a whole wealth of really fun exciting action games to play there just there's so much to play like the arc systems games just give you so much in terms of story modes in terms of tutorials and stuff anyway i feel like i've I've gushed a lot on this podcast about a lot of things i've been playing this week i just i've just been really loving games recently um that's a good way to be yeah good way to be super mario 3d world is another one that i would oh yeah i'd love to plug um 
obviously not a PC game. Um, it was originally a Wii U game, I think, and has been sort of like republished on the Switch. And if you happen to be in a situation where you can sit on a couch next to someone who can play with you, it is a, just a wonderfully funny, vicious co-op game. Vicious? Uh, yes. Yes, it has a it has an edge to it. Um, <laughs> uh, so it's a, it's a combination of like classic 3D Mario levels that are all like expertly designed by Nintendo. Um, and some of them are puzzle levels based on the Toad series, which I've not played yet, but like it, that involves kind of fez like rotating, uh, uh, rotating arenas in order to acquire stars and that kind of stuff. Uh, and then suddenly like you jump to the next thing and it will be a kind of race to the finish. Um, but it pit, like if, if you're playing with another person, it pits you against one another in very specific ways. Like famously at the end of a Mario level, there's a giant flag and uh, you, what you want to do is uh, jump onto the top point of the flag. So you get the most points uh, when there's two of you. <laughs> uh, there's a competition to get the most points, uh, not just on that pole, but throughout the entire level. And the winner gets a crown. And uh, it's meaningless, utterly meaningless, but <laughs> uh, it, it takes on a kind of like it does take on a sort of weight, uh, as it does take on a meaning if you're playing next to someone who constantly gets the crown and boasts about it, which inevitably they will, <laughs> because that's why they put it in the game. Um, and so you want to beat their score and then get the crown, or they fall off a cliff, the crown drops, then you get the crown. Uh, and it turns to a sort of like caught fight within. <laughs> You're trying to obviously, you know, conquer the level, but the crown is is always this sort of thing <laughs> that you want to actually really get. Um, and uh, I've had loads of fun with um, my fiance playing this game uh, because um, anyone who's familiar with um, Billy Eilish's song, uh, you should see me in the crown. That's the chorus. Um, when she picks it up as Luigi, we call ourselves the B team. I'm Toad. She's Luigi. Uh, <laughs> we could be Mario, and you know, we could be anyone, but we've, we've chosen the, the the limpest characters because it's funny. Also, there's when they die, their screams are hilarious, um, um, which is a very good reason to set this character. Uh, but uh, when she picks up the the crown, she goes, "You should see me in a crown." <laughs> And she'll just shout that at me. And then I'm like, oh, I've got to get that back now. <laughs> and that's the only way I'm going to return the favor is to uh, is to get the crown back. And then I get to be in a crown. Um, yeah, that's been my world recently, to be honest. <laughs> I've been eating cereal and playing games. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, it's not bad. It's not bad. <laughs> Can't last, but it's not bad. No, I mean you'll probably die of malnutrition. Um, yeah, just just eat cereal. Oh, tan- tangerines as well. Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that does that does offset uh, the uh, low nutrient yeah. aspect of yeah. cereal. That uh, that'll give me an extra two years. <laughs> life, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where I'm at in life. Oh God, lockdown. <laughs> May it end soon. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Anyway, Marsh, anything else you can play? Uh, no, but I can, uh, can I tell you about, about a madness that enveloped me today? Yes, please. Um, well, you see, I recently learned, Tom, that, uh, in the 15th century, 
Edward, the Duke of York, mm. wrote a book about hunting. Okay. Um, and it was called Master of Game. Um, apparently, it's mostly a translation from a, a preceding French work, but um, it's nonetheless one of the earliest books um, about hunting in the English language, and there are very, very few copies of it. And mm. um, one of the kind of famed features of this work alongside being like this exhaustive catalogue of how to cultivate and murder various animals of Britain <laughs> and, you know, oh, what do you do if your hawk is sick kind of things. Um, it's <laughs> One of its notable features is that it contains an index of 1,100 names that Edward, the Duke of York, thought were suitable for dogs. <laughs> <laughs> names like... <laughs> I just love the idea that he was sitting there in the 15th century just imagining different kinds of dogs he might like. <laughs> like dogs with names like Stikefast or <laughs> Solace. Or, or, or my, or my favourite is Have Good Day, which is a really cute name. <laughs> I mean, um, so uh, uh, we've lived in Bath many years and uh, you know Beckford's Tower? I do. Um, I uh, and Beckford is a very entertaining twat uh (laughs) (laughs) um he built himself a tower actually constructed his own road separate road into town because he didn't want to seek people (laughs) yes uh when he actually and he's got it's it's actually a beautiful site to visit if you go to bath i'd really recommend going up it and he he built this tower and he was very bad at commissioning towers most of them fell over uh but this one stayed up and that's where he went up to read um i love the idea that like he would go up there and read a book about what to name his next dog that will soon die. <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, who would not wish to partake um, of, you know, a full list of 15th century names for very good boys? Um, I certainly would. <laughs> and let me tell you, Tom, <laughs> Yes, I fucking couldn't find it. What? I couldn't find it. I've I've searched every scanned version of the of the various manuscripts that survived that I could find in the digital catalogues of the most hallowed libraries of this civilization, if we can call it such. I mean, we it's can't not, anymore. It's not in the Bodleian's two copies. How could it not be in the Bodleian? It's not because it's a shower of piss, Tom. That's why the fucking Bodleian. It's not in the Beinecke library, <laughs> is it? It's not in the British libraries. It's not even. In the 19th century reprint, with its foreword by Theodore Roosevelt. <laughs> what? The dogs just weren't good enough for Roosevelt. They weren't good enough boys for him. The fucking prick. What? Anyway, so I haven't been able to find... I want to see all 1,100 names. I don't want a selection of highlights picked by somebody else. I want the full list. I can't find it. And that is my lockdown story. <laughs> This that, that must be it. Must be the Bodleian somewhere. The Bodleian. Oh, the, the the books are, but those particular versions of the manuscript don't seem to include this index. This is like a sort of Indiana Jones style quest where you have to go into the Bodleian and there's some sort of like deeper <laughs> underlayer to it that houses the most corrupt <laughs> dog names. Dog names to, known <laughs> to man. <laughs> Of which this is the richest text, uh, which is also, you know, protected by lasers, etc. You know, in a class case. Um, yeah, um, I don't know if, if our, like, you know, anyone outside of our country knows what the Bodleian is. It's the Oxford um, Library. Every publisher 
in Britain, I believe, is required to send a copy of their texts to the Bodleian. Is that correct? I don't know if it's true of the Bodleian. It's definitely true of the British Library, or it's, that's that's its reputation anyway. Yeah, so, yeah, the, there are those repositories. But about, no, I'm just... Uh, I, you've, um, you've Nigel Farage'd me. You've... you've um, You've undermined my faith in the British institutions <laughs> on which I've come to rely, and now what well, am I to do? Yeah, even the the uh, the, the famed um, rare book libraries of of Yale couldn't provide this in America either. So I don't know. I don't know if if anybody finds uh, is is better at finding this than I am. Let me know. I want to see those dog names. I want to fucking see them. If we don't see them, we're going to make them. Yes, there you go. That'll get me through the remainder of lockdown. A promise and a threat. (laughs) (laughs) Shall we do some questions? I think we should, actually. Yeah. That's a good idea, isn't it? Yeah. We have a question from David, who says, Hi all. As I plod through middle age, one of the factors I take into account when starting a new game is how long it takes to complete. I can get in about an hour's worth of gaming per day, if I'm lucky. So I try to be careful about what I get into. I also have very little patience for games that don't clearly feel worthwhile to me and will drop something after about 20 minutes if it hasn't grabbed me or is being obtuse. How much weight does game length carry for you? Are you compelled to complete games? Or are you happy to set them aside once you've seen enough? Take care, David. I really like this question because it has changed. Like My answer would change if I was 21 oh, and yeah. not 35. <laughs> um <laughs> which I happen to be. Uh, I, I Actually, like I've got loads and loads of sympathy for the idea that if a game doesn't show you its worth within half an hour, or like not worth, but show you why it should be interesting, why it should give you your time within an hour. Yeah. Or so, I mean, it's an arbitrary time limit, but you know, around that kind of time that you can give to it, um, then it shouldn't expect you to kind of put another 50 hours into discovering why it's good um which is why i don't know, like a lot of the um that's why so many people haven't played dark souls because if you go into dark souls for the first half an hour um it's just kind of shit <laughs> yeah uh in fact it's probably a shit for like two hours actually right, until you actually <laughs> figure out what's going on and if you you know there's lots going on in your life and you've got this precious gaming time that's like time for you, then why put it into Dark Souls? And why do that without uh, an entire universe of critics saying that you should? <laughs> right. uh, without actually kind of like perhaps taking into account the fact that, you know, it's sometimes tutorials are good. <laughs> I yeah, know. I like uh, I like to be... It's, it's not that I want the game to be uh, instantly worthwhile. I just want it to reassure me uh, mm. in the first 20 minutes that there is something good coming because there's lots of games that look superficially good now and aren't <laughs> and yeah. there's just lots of games like i don't really need to uh have a hard time working out whether a game is good or not um because there's plenty that will announce how good they are pretty immediately and i can just play those instead um so it's it's a matter of competition among the the various media uh at my within my reach as much as anything but 
how about the the game length stuff? Do you feel like mm. do you feel like you have to complete a long game? Is that a problem for you, or or are you able just to um, say I'm, enough is enough? And I'm very happy to leave a thing when it's done for me. Like uh, it's weird to compare it to a book, but I feel as I should finish a book to see where it's going. Uh, I've actually like put uh, thanks to doing a literature degree university. Um, I've learned to put books in the bin if they're not doing anything halfway through. Uh, yeah. and, um, to be honest, games demand so much time. Like, uh, even like a good action game like Doom Eternal or that we've been discussing or Don't Make Cry or any action game, uh, let alone a JRPG, like they, that's a lot of, that's a lot of time mm. um, to, to re- require you to, Learn skills like Sekiro is a it's an incredible game, but it's fifty hours. Yeah, I, that's a good example of a game that I really loved, and I didn't finish, and I'm totally happy. Yeah, because I I got exactly what I wanted from it, and I felt like I got my money's worth, and I was able to put it down. But I think I think this is new for me though, because I I, I suspect well, like you you mentioned, you know, uh, this is a change for you with books, having done a literature degree. I mean. Maybe you feel the same way as I do, having been a games journalist, where obviously there is some obligation on you to experience as much of a game as you're reviewing as possible. Very true. Um, yeah. And like, it took me a long time to to divorce myself from that um, mm. and feel like uh, I wasn't doing a game justice if I didn't get as far through it as possible. Now I'm 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 much more kind of able to. Uh, uh, you see where it's going. Exercise my discretion <laughs> and, and just dump a game off once yeah, I've once I, I feel like I've got enough of it. I feel exactly the same way because uh, the games that I've, I've felt most passionate about, I've completed on my own time hmm. uh, and not due to you know professional requirements. I'm I, like I like you, Marshall. I'm sure like I I just finished every single game. Uh, but I got into this industry reviewing MMOs. Uh, oh God, <laughs> very bad. <laughs> well, just not bad, but just mediocre MMOs like uh, Alloys Online and stuff like that that no one else wants to take, um, and they can't be finished. And uh, <laughs> yeah, that uh, that sort of set a precedent. Really, it's like <laughs> if the shooting feels shit in the first five hours. It's not going to get better. Like the, the the fundamental movement, aiming, gun feel, all of it. Like it should all be in place by a certain amount of time. Right. If it if it isn't yeah. there, then it's not going to suddenly materialize in the final third. And even if it does, no one should buy it because people's time is precious. <laughs> like you shouldn't have to put. 20 hours into a game to unlock the goodness mm. it should be it should be there like sure that this there should be onboarding there should be tutorials that might take a few hours depending on the complexity of the game but if you're 10 hours in and it's not fun it's boring and you don't see any sort of like trajectory then yeah ditch it put it in the bin I do. I do feel a certain regret, though, with long, with particularly long games, that I'm not going to see all the stuff that I would quite like to see uh, because it's it's just uh, going to be innovating long. I like all the the Assassin's Creed games suffer from this. I would really like to see 
parts of England in uh, mm. uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla. But I know I'm just it's going to take too long to get there, and I've sort of run out of interest in the mechanics by the time, right. but you know, a third of the way through probably. Um, yeah, I wish that I wish games ha- were issued with a highlights uh, button almost like an easy mode that just teleports you say okay i'm sick of the game now i don't mind wrecking the the kind of continuity of the experience that the developers have planned just just teleport me between the the next the, the next few best bits uh that are gonna otherwise would take 60 hours just give me another good hour of the game uh you already have my money it's fine i don't mind but uh unfortunately no such thing works i got as far i i i played as far in uh, assassin's creed until i could check out uh, their rendition of the chiselhurst caves um, mm. <laughs> uh, which were a little underwhelming uh, and then i quit yeah so hmm. games used to do this by giving you all your powers at the start of the game and then taking all your powers away uh, as a way of kind of like giving you a preview, perhaps, of your character's ultimate abilities that you might be able to exercise, uh, which is flawed in numerous ways. Um, first of all, you don't know how to use those powers because there's been no like onboarding or tutorial process for them. And also, just being given all the stuff and then being rendered utterly useless is a terrible first, hour, <laughs> first half hour experience, isn't it? Really. Um, and thankfully, that has kind of fallen by the wayside. Uh, I think Assassin's Creed Valhalla is an interesting example because the world kept me going, even though um, I prefer the combat system to the previous two of the reboots. But it sort of the game leans on it so much as a kind of as the kind of um, the friction, the thing that you have to overcome in order to get the thing. Uh, by which I mean uh, you'll get an objective marker across the valley and the valley is beautifully modelled, it's gorgeous lighting. Uh, every time of day just looks incredible. Uh, nothing like Britain, of course, but like, you, you still just like go into the valley, come back out of it, climb up this huge cliff to get to this plateau that you know, you've been hunting for. And then you have to fight a boar and it's a three-stage boss fight Um and you could set it on fire and chop it apart and throw and shoot arrows into its neck and face and eyes. Um, but when it hits the sort of like the first third, it will summon little boars to come and charge at you. So you have to murder them with fire. Um, and then you, you do the same thing again to this boar that should surely, surely be dead by now. And, uh, and then, and then like it'll sort of seem to croak and it'll like it'll give a little cry. Then I'll summon more baby boars, twice as many. And suddenly you're surrounded and you're chopping them. And um, I sense just a hint of weariness in your voice. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going for. That is that is the precise, <laughs> precise emotion. It's like, it's like this, yeah, this is cool. I like the idea of being kind of like mythical animals in the wilds that, you know, uh, you can defeat to, you know, grow your legend or whatever. But don't do this. <laughs> don't do this like very, very long three stage boss fight. It's like uh, but, uh, the question asked, got it's like okay, I've got like an hour, um, you know, put the kids to bed, you know, all the chores are done, everything's done, the house is sorted. I've got an hour just to sit down. Um, 
this game could fuck off in that context. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, <laughs> just, yeah, just, you know, there are so many other games that will just, you could just enjoy a similar rhythm that will give you more of a sense of progression instead of this stupid fucking fight that goes, mm-hmm. that adheres to very old fashioned boss fight rules. Like, it's a three stage fight where the thing gets stronger and it has minions. And <laughs> I don't know. I think the, um, the issue of games respecting time is going to become more and more important as critics get older. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, which is part of it. Uh, but the, again, if you like, if you want that really long form social experience, then MMOs are great at the moment. Like uh, Eve's still good. Final Fantasy XIV is amazing. Um, World of Warcraft is still going as millions of players. You know, like if you want that kind of really long form uh, experiential kind of, thing that's awesome but i think modern rpgs need to be need to look at mass effect and how snappy that was like you could get like a short story done in an hour mm. go to a planet get a quest done lots of you know, some character development a little bit of leveling up lovely i, I mean I'd, I'd love to see like the, the next equivalent of the witcher or cyberpunk pay attention to that loop that the speed of that loop the cadence of that yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's a really good that's a really good thing. Yeah, I, I never really thought about the, the the structure of Mass Effect and its convenience, but you're exactly right. It was divided up into incredibly consumable chunks, even mm. within. So uh, the classic Bioware thing was to have an overly long intro sequence where the base blew up, um, and this applies to so many. Um, this applies to like the original Kotor and everything, uh, and it's just a, a dungeon that teaches you how to RPG, and then it will give you a choice of, there'll be a bit of plot for about 20 minutes, and then it will give you a choice of like three places to go. And each of them will be their own self-contained little world. But within the world, there'll be like 20 minute long, 30 minute long plot lines that you could sort of indulge in. It's sort of like pick and mix, basically. And then once you completed the overarching thing, pick another of the three. It's a really good system. It's a really good um, way of structuring an RPG, I think. Yeah, and it never it never felt like you were being um, railroaded into continuing. Either. No, I, I think uh, there has been a recent trend. I think it's dying off actually, of uh, of games trying to keep you engaged indefinitely by you know terminating one mission and opening a new thread that you just can't help but pick at, and then that obviously right. uh, leads you into the next thing. Uh, but I, I think games have become kind of more aware of. Um, well, actual health issues with regards to um, inveigling players into playing for detrimental periods of time. Perhaps sure. they're just worried about lawsuits, but mm. um, it does seem that's, that that trend does seem to have disappeared a little bit. I hope it continues. I do like I I, I like the finality <laughs> of having completed a mission and knowing I can I can save and quit the game and uh, come back to it later. That's good. Yeah, I think also um, in the era of living games where games are always online often and sort of like measuring your progress in terms of time spent within the game like you should I, I i this tends to be the case but you should be able to alter for and just quit and turn off the pc and it should just keep everything you've done oh yeah that 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 should be a modern just i mean there's no excuse not to do it as far as i'm concerned <laughs> um i mean i'm sure that it might be technically difficult in some contexts but a good way of respecting people's time is that type of auto saving 
where if you have to suddenly get up and take a delivery or get up and do something, yeah, you should just be able to alt F4 because you know almost everything in life is is more important than the game you're playing. <laughs> <laughs> we have a question from uh, Moose Demeanor, and they say, "Dear Phasmids and Plasmids." Episode 359 really struck a chord with me when the gang mentioned cutting pizza with scissors. It me. When I, I first started... <laughs> you monster. <laughs> when I first started dating my now wife, we made a pizza at home. Once the pizza <laughs> was pulled from the oven, I began searching her drawers for a pizza slicer. She chuckled and pulled out a pair of normal scissors. Correct. began cutting the pizza into slices like an uncultured swine. You've, Who you, does that? You it's found sacrilegious. a good one. You found a good one. <laughs> well, this is it. Fast forward eight years, and it has become apparent that it was I who was the swine. <laughs> Cutting pizza with normal scissors is the cat's pajamas and should be taught in schools. <laughs> <laughs> now the question. I, like, like most, have an on and off relationship with Destiny 2. Mm. Cue Destiny 2 Inception warp noise. Yep. A new expansion, I'm on for a month. A new season, two more weeks of nothing but destiny and a giant cold turkey sandwich. For this latest season, Bungie sent me their typical email informing me of all the new in-game activities and items. However, this email had a picture of a penguin statue, a real-life desk tchotchke. How do I obtain such majesty? It turns out Ben Bungie has a program called Bungie Rewards where you can complete in-game achievements to earn real-life items. Only people who complete the in-game task can purchase the real-life item. I guess this isn't new, but it was new to me, and I quickly set out to unlock this penguin statue. I've now found all the penguins and have put in my order for the real-life statue. I am much more invested in Destiny 2 this season <laughs> and feel more involved with the game overall. Have any of you participated in this rewards program or one like it? Do you think it is effective at engaging casual or hardcore players alike? Do you think video game themed physical items such as collector's editions, extras, make players feel more connected to the virtual experience? Or are there more are they more of a reward for players who are already heavily invested in an experience? Do you have a favorite video game themed physical token? Thanks! I've been listening since the PC Gamer UK podcast and love all the least slash most nourishing banter. <laughs> Shout out to Alex. I'm patiently waiting for my Mr. Hardware to arrive and love my 8-bit do... 8-bit do? 8-bit do. I don't know. Arcade stick. V slash R, comma, Mustamina. Ah, that's a really nice message. Um, yeah. So I think I've been solid on physical games tat by... Being like, this is sounds awful. Uh, when I was like in the office of PC game, I just be relentlessly sent it, and it all just went straight into the bin. <laughs> and it was just literally stuff that we couldn't keep in the office. And like, uh, the reason is like that you know, uh, PR send uh, uh, magazines stuff or publications stuff uh, in the hope that you will sort of like photograph and tweet it out and create extra marketing for them on their behalf which is why it goes in the bin, because that's not your job. You're supposed to be separate from that. You're supposed to be, you know, uh, reporting and reviewing, uh, you know, slightly outside of the industry. And having said that, nothing that came across my desk I ever wanted to keep at all. <laughs> no, right. You know what I mean? Like, even, you know, irrespective of, you know, the, you know, whatever 
ethics or whatever involved in report, reporting on the thing. It was all shite. I don't know. Well, uh, uh, you have this experience as well, Marsh? Oh, I, I hate tat. Uh, mm. I'm afraid. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very anti-tat. Although having uh, moved countries uh, several times does make you quite averse to physical items in general. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, even before then, I, I never really liked um, statues or, you know, I don't know, coasters with games on them or T-shirts or uh, uh, mouse mats, etc. Um, I can't. I can't imagine one thing one. I don't know what kind of physical token, video game themed physical token would you find uh irresistible though? Can you imagine such a thing? I think yeah, so what's describing the question gets close in that uh I had a, an amazing time with Destiny 1 and Destiny uh, Destiny 2 up to a point. Um I've not played it for months and months and I'm more for that crack now. Um, and I'm not allowed to look at it in case it comes back again. Uh, but there was a kind of like um, end of era completion festival, basically. And if you completed all of the triumphs, which are basically just quests to do all of the raids, do all of the dungeons, uh, get all of the weapons from that particular season, then you were allowed the opportunity to buy a hoodie um and the part where i went no was immediately (laughs) at the very start of that journey (laughs) where it's like so you want me to work for 12 hours perhaps so i can spend 20 pound plus postage from america for, for a hoodie um so yeah, no. It's literally every stage of that progression. I was like, eh, no. Yeah, and to say the uh, the yeah. various uh, game branded fruit of the loom T shirts that I've accepted over the years have uh, been um, entirely entirely for pajamas, <laughs> pajama wear, or, yep. or gardening or painting. Uh, they they don't they likewise. Don't, they go, don't go out in public. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, actually, you know, I, don't, I don't mean to be mean about people who actually... like so, Some people actually really get into it, and it is kind of micro-pride. And if you're hanging out with like people who are into the same kind of... Uh, or into Destiny, for example, or, any, or World of Warcraft or anything like that, uh, and you go to BlizzCon, or you go, you go to um, Bungie's events, then that's really cool, actually. I think that's just... I think fandom can be awesome. But I really particularly resent having to pl- grind to play a game <laughs> in order to have the opportunity to buy a product. <laughs> and I can't, I can't get over that. I think, I don't know, I just can't get over that. Yeah. Don't at me. It does sound like it's asking quite a lot. I think so. I felt, oh, I felt like I've, I gave a really negative answer to that. <laughs> really nice, really nice question. You should, you should, you should cherish and and enjoy the things if they give you pleasure. Does it spark joy? And then if it does, it's good. Those are all the questions that we have. If you'd like to send us a question, you can do so at questions at creightoncrowbar.com. You can tweet us at creightoncrowbar. You can find this recording and others uploaded as videos to YouTube, and there's other nonsense by us there. Um, 
You can back us on Patreon if you like. <clears throat> that is patreon.com slash crowbar. Or you can just join our Discord community. They're very, very nice people. You can find the link for that on our website, which is crowbar.com. Um, that's it. I've been Marsh Davis. I've been Tom Senior. I'd like to give a quick shout out to our role models community, which is uh, split off from the main Crate and Crowbar Discord community, uh, but it'll be dead easy for you to find if you search for it on Google. Thank and you, so, no, everybody. Everybody.